Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. Go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, hey, if you're just joining us, um, we're spending our summer going through uh, this really famous chapter of the Bible known as 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, would you grab it? Let's turn there. Uh, this chapter, uh, it's really a vision of God's plan for humanity, and uh, what it all boils down to uh, is love. Um, love is really the great theme of the Bible. It's really uh, all over this book from cover to cover. But what makes this chapter so famous, I think, is the way that it slows down and shows us what love practically looks like in relationships. Uh, and also what love does not look like. So that we can get beyond mere platitudes about how um, love is so important to actually growing and living this most excellent way in our everyday lives. Uh, that's what this chapter of the Bible is here to do in us. And so what we're doing each week uh, is we're taking a piece or two from this famous description of love, and we're just looking at it in depth. Um, and every week we're starting by reading the whole thing, so we've got the whole picture together, and then we dive into a piece or two at a time. So that's what I'm going to do right now. I'll read the whole description for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Does anybody have it memorized yet? I saw one person this week had it on their cell phone, like working on it. Okay, um, I'm still reading from my Bible here too. I'm a little slow, um, but hopefully this is getting into us this summer. Here's uh, what the Word of God says about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Father, we want more of this. Uh, and so we pray for more love this morning. Would you... Um, would you get us past mere uh, moralism and legalism and checklists about what we should be doing and bring us into your heart that we see here? Um, so that as Paul prayed and as we sang this morning, that we might know more of the depth, the height, the uh, width of your love for us, that we might see a little bit more clearly this morning how vast your love for us is and that your fullness might uh, pass through us to this community around us. Would you bless us in this way to make us a blessing? We ask in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at two uh, pieces of our description of love this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, rudeness and selfishness. Aren't you glad you came to church? Now, I said this last week, we're, we're on a journey of freedom here. We're in the part of the list where Paul's saying what love is not like, because um, sometimes it's helpful to say what something is like. Sometimes we need to know what it's not like so we can get a full 3D picture. And so we're going to dive into two of the what love is not likes this morning. Um, that wasn't very good English, but that's okay. Hopefully you can love me through that. Uh, we're we're going to talk about rudeness and selfishness, and we'll t start with rudeness. Paul says, love is not rude, or as we read it this morning, love does not dishonor others. Um, that word, uh, in the original language, it's a really broad term uh, that refers to behavior that deviates from social norms. 
Um, so this would be an action or an activity um, that would offend someone else, that would possibly embarrass them if you did it in front of other people. That's what Paul is talking about here. Um, so there's an element of this idea about love not being rude that is uh, culturally defined, but I think we all know rudeness when we see it. Um, for example, if you're driving home, someone pulls up beside you at the stoplight, and they lift their hand, and they lift somewhere between their ring finger and their pointer finger at you, you're not going to think they're complimenting you on their driving, right? We know rudeness when we see it. Like, even if it's culturally defined, and you might need some help if you travel overseas, but we, we know what this is. And, and look, that might be an extreme example. Maybe you're not the kind of person that flips the bird to other drivers. Um, but I think there's plenty of ways that we can communicate uh, rudeness and disrespect and kind of normal kind of garden variety everyday lives that even good church folk will do. Um, for example, we can communicate rudeness with our words. Um, I think this is the most obvious one. But we say things like, no offense, but, and then everything that follows is rude. Um, I don't know why, by the way, we think saying no offense but just takes it away. It's like, that, that, that doesn't excuse what you're about to say. In fact, if you say that, it means that you might be aware that something is rude. Or um, maybe we just say things that are harsh. And when someone gets offended, we say, hey man, I'm just speaking the truth here. And what the Bible will say about that is there's a way to speak that is gracious, that will help people receive the truthful words that are coming out of your mouth. And there is a way to speak truth that will make other people want to punch you in the face. And that latter way of speaking, though it might technically be true, falls under what the Bible means by rude. Now, we can communicate incredible rudeness with our words, but it's not just our words. Uh, we can communicate rudeness with our tone. Um, this one took me a little while to figure out. Um, for the longest time, I thought that this was a category that Karen had made up to win an argument, where she'll say something, I'll say, what did I say? And she feeds it back, and I'm like, all those words are technically totally okay, they're totally great. And she said, it's not the words you said, it's the way you said it. It's your tone. Anybody else have these conversations in their homes? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and for the longest time I thought, man, this is just Karen's like magical way to win an argument. If she can't checkmate me on what I said, she'll checkmate me on tone. But, but here's what I found as I've begun to pay attention to these times where Karen tells me that my tone says something different than my words. Because I'm like, I only got one tone, I'm loud. What's my tone? But as I've begun to pay attention and reflect on the times where she said it's your tone, um, what I found is that even if we're smart enough not to say the thing we're really thinking on the inside with our mouth, it sometimes spills over in our tone. So you can communicate rudeness, not by the words you say, but the way you say your words. Like there's a world of a difference between yes and yes. Are you with me? Tone matters. And, and by the way, uh, I'll say this particularly to the ladies. Those of this could be true of guys and gals. Be gentle on the way home with this point. Uh, the idea of tone has taken me a lot of time to come around to. And so maybe just leave a little room for the Holy Spirit to do some convicting on that one. This one takes uh, some of us some time to figure out. Um, but okay, so but it's not even just our words, not even just our tone. Then there's the whole nonverbal side of communication. Uh, nonverbal ways we can be rude, like um, rolling our eyes at somebody, uh, or uh, walking away when someone's talking to you, 
or when you see someone coming towards you, avoiding them so you won't have to talk to them. Um, or this one's becoming really popular today. Uh, when someone's talking to you, you don't walk away. You just pull out your phone and start looking at your phone because that's more interesting. And look, some of you, you're rolling your eyes at me right now. You're like, is this really what we're talking about on a Sunday with everything going on in the world? Is this really what we need to be focused on? Shouldn't we talk about serious things like life and death and, and saving people and heaven and hell are in the balance? But what Paul is saying is that rudeness in all of its forms, verbal tone, nonverbal, rudeness in all of its forms is an indicator that we have drifted from the way of love. Love is not rude. And, and we don't want to just ignore this. I know that's the pull. I know that's my tendency. We're looking at two today. I thought, I'm going to skim past the first one, get to the second one, because that's where it's really good. But we don't want to ignore the symptom that we've drifted from love. I'm thinking about it like a, a cold symptom. Um, I don't know about you. I'm the kind of person that if I have a sore throat, if I have a headache, if I have a stomach ache, any kind of ache, um, I just tend to pop an Advil, a Dayquil, like whatever I need to pop to numb that symptom and push through the day. Anyone else like me? Okay. Yeah. Glad I'm not alone. We can have a support group after service. Uh, Karen's not like that. Karen's like probably like the majority of you that did not raise your hands. Karen likes to feel her symptoms. So she won't take Dayquil because she wants to feel it so that she can uh, address the actual problem. And I think Karen would probably tell you this is why she doesn't get sick as often as I do, though I would dispute that fact. Um, because I tend to um, push and push and push through my symptoms and numb and numb and numb and ignore and ignore, ignore until I can't get up anymore. And, and I think a lot of times we can approach our spiritual life like this where we've got the symptoms popping up, but we say things like, ah, oh, man, I wasn't rude. I was just hangry. Do you know this word? It's two words put together, hanger, uh, hungry and angry, and we put them together to excuse our rudeness. So we say, I wasn't being rude. My blood sugar was just low, so of course I was a little snappy just there. It's hangry. We ignore it. Um, or uh, we say things like, well, I just have a lot on my plate right now. You know, so of course I snapped right there. Anyone would do it. This is totally normal. I'm going to totally just ignore this. It's no problem. It's no big deal. And rather than paying attention to our symptoms and dealing with whatever's going on in our heart, we try to power through. And I'm telling you, it's why some of you are spiritually crashing right now. It's why some of you are spiritually dry right now. Because you've been ignoring an important symptom that God has written in his word to be aware of. It may not seem that significant to us, but Paul says our rudeness is a sign that something is off. And so I was thinking about this week, I was like, what if rather than explaining this stuff away, what if we took this verse seriously? Um, what if we said, you know, the next time you snap at somebody, what if you said, okay, that's a sign that something's off? And rather than explain it away with, they deserved it, my blood sugar was low, I have a lot going on, what if we actually began to interrogate that? What if we began to say, well, what's my symptom here? What if we began to ask the dangerous question, why? What if we began to say things like, why was I so defensive in that conversation the other day? 
why was I so sarcastic there? Um, why did I roll my eyes so hard I'm on the ground now because I'm dizzy? See, I actually tried this out this week. This is the fun thing about preaching the sermons is you get to try it on. Um, I tried this out this week, and here's what I can tell you. Um, if you would uh, seriously pay attention to the symptoms, if you will seriously pay attention to your rudeness, uh, you will learn a lot about yourself. Um, and I'll also tell you this. If you want to hear the voice of God speak into your life, start paying attention to the symptoms of what we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 13. Start paying attention to things like we saw last week, envy. Start paying attention to things like rudeness and asking the question, hey, why, why did I react that way? This is fertile ground that I found the Holy Spirit, he gets real talkative when we ask these questions. Really likes to speak into our lives. This is kind of doing what David did in Psalm 42 where he's like, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? It's not a rhetorical question. We're giving the Holy Spirit room to speak into our lives and say, I'm so glad you asked. I love you. And in light of that love and freedom, let's talk about this thing over here. So you'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll hear God's voice. I also learn that it's no coincidence what comes next on our list in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, see, what I'm learning is that my rudeness is often a symptom of a much deeper problem. I'm self-seeking. Now, um, I wouldn't typically describe myself that way. Um, I didn't think that on Monday when I got this out. I didn't think this is going to be one of the hard ones for me. But here's what it means to be self-seeking. Uh, it's two words in the original language. It's the word for seeking after, and it's the word for yourself. And so what Paul is pressing on here is, what is the gravitational center of your life? Is it you? Do you think that the world all revolves around you? Are you a selfish person that in every relationship, conversation, a moment, are seeking after you, and you try to make every conversation come back to you, and you try to make every person serve you? Are you selfish, or... Are you a humble person that realizes you're not the center of the universe, that your life is a part of a much bigger cosmos and a much bigger story that God is writing in the universe? And I don't think any of us, I don't think a lot of us, I, I shouldn't speak for you, I don't think a lot of us think of ourselves as selfish, as self-seeking. It just sounds awful to even say out loud, but um, I'll tell you this, as I began to pay attention to the rudeness in my life. It has exposed the gravitational center of my life. Um, and if you, if you think you're not self-seeking, I would just encourage you to try this this week, to pay attention to your rudeness and see what you find. Um, like, I'll, I'll just have some real talk with you. Just this past week, I was rude to Karen. So if you're like, why would you be rude to Karen? Well, uh, I was dumb enough to go for my long run. The day was like 100 degrees. <laughs> and so I got back. My body was starting to shiver. You know, like, that's not a good sign. When it's 100 degrees and your body's shivering, I'm like, I think something's shutting down. And so I get in the house, and I'm like, I need, I need a fan. And so I'm like, Karen, I need a fan. I need help. And, you know, I, I, I think I was pretty focused on me and what I needed in that moment. I wasn't really thinking about Karen and what like craziness had been going on with three kids while she's trying to cook dinner while I'm gone. 
I'm not seeking after understanding and, and her good there. I'm seeking after, I'm hot. I need a fan and it doesn't feel like you share my urgency. If this is the world, here is me. Urgency is here, not on whatever's been going on in this house the last hour. And so I was rude. I was rude to Karen. Sorry, Karen. Um, I was also rude. Uh, this will really shock you if you were here a couple of weeks ago. I was rude to another driver this week. Um, where it's kind of a long story. I mean, basically the story is uh, I had circled a parking lot multiple times looking for a parking spot. Uh, couldn't find one. And I really need a parking spot. And then just the skies parted and the Lord showed me a parking spot opened up. And so I zoomed around a car to get there. Now, um, this car wasn't waiting for the parking spot. I'm not a psycho. Uh, but, but they were on their way out, and I thought, they can wait an extra second. I need this spot right now. Self-seeking. I was rude. And, and frankly, I could go on and on with the examples from this list, but the point is, underneath the rudeness in my life was this view that life revolves around me, that expects to get things my way that is really only interested in what other people need once I feel like my needs are met. And look, this is another one of those things that I think it's really easy to say, what's the big deal here? Everybody does this. Maybe, maybe that's flaring up in you right now where you're like, well, I do that, but so does everybody else. But that's the point. Everybody does this. See, we all tend to live our lives thinking that the world revolves around us. And I think this is why there's so much conflict in our lives. Do you see the problem here? See, because if you think the world revolves around you, and you expect to get your way, and I think the world revolves around me, and I expect to get my way, and we are not the exact same person, so our vision of the way might be a little bit different, when we come into relationship, what happens is that inevitable explosion of disappointment of unmet expectations, where you think the world should revolve around you, I think the world should revolve around me, and we both are expecting the other person to come into our orbit, and it's why there's so much frustration in our lives. It's why we are rude to one another. But that rudeness, it's just the beginning. Rudeness isn't our ultimate problem. Rudeness is like the canary in the coal mine telling us, if you don't deal with this, suddenly there will be no oxygen in the room in a few minutes. If left unchecked, our self-seeking will lead us to do terrible things to one another in a desperate attempt to get our way. And I think that explains every historic injustice in the world. One group of people saying, this is what I want and I don't care what you want. I'm going to make the world revolve around me and my preferences. And, and not just at a societal level, I would say this is what's underneath the relational conflict in your life that you are expecting everyone to revolve their lives around you. And, and you don't just do it. I do it too. And you see it in your rudeness. In your rudeness, it, hear me, your rudeness, it's not a good thing, but it can be a good thing if it clues you off to deal with your self-centeredness early. If your rudeness can make you deal with that, it, it can... It can lead to uh, little apologies, not big ones for blowing up people's lives.
Our rudeness is the canary in the coal mine that's telling us something's not right in our hearts. The gravitational center is pulling around us, and if left unchecked, we are going to wreak havoc in the lives of the people that maybe we even love the most. And look, I don't know anyone who wants to live this way. Um, I'm sure there's some psychos out there. I've never met someone that says, I want to be a self-centered jerk. I've just never met the person. I've met people where that might be my conclusion after my conversation with them, but that is not their self-assessment. I've never met anyone that says, oh, yeah, I, I think the world revolves around me. Again, I'm sure there's people crazy enough to, like, actually say that, but most of us just believe it, but we would never say it with our words. I don't know anyone that wants to live this way, but this is what sin does to us. It turns us inward, and it makes us so focused on ourselves that we just can't even see what's going on in the world around us. And because we're so focused on ourselves, we're like a black hole that just sucks the life out of everyone and everything around us. We become rude and self-seeking. This is the human condition. And, and, and it's not even... I, I was reading so many studies this week. It's like, Americans are so rude. Okay, maybe. I'm an American. It's hard for me to judge that one objectively. But this was a problem in Corinth 2,000 years ago. I think this is a human problem. And maybe we Americans just rocket this problem. <laughs> but this is a problem of humanity. That sin has turned our hearts inward, and rather than focusing on God and others, we focus on ourselves first. And we suck the life out of everything and everyone around us. This is what sin does to us. But what Paul says is there's a better way. The way of love. Where rather than focus on me, myself, and I, the gravitational center of my life shifts to where I can come into a relationship and be focused on you and what you need and how I can serve you. That's what love is. Love is not self-seeking. Love seeks the good of others. And, and I think this is why we love love, or it's at least a significant part of why we love love. Because um, when you experience this gravitational shift in your life, I mean, even for a second, I, I'm sure we've all had glimpses of those moments. Christian or not, this is a common grace. I think humans are made for this. There's enough grace in the world that we've all had that moment where the gravitational life uh, center of our life shifts from us to another person for like a second and it's incredible i mean i'll tell you some of the sweetest moments in our marriage and really my life have been the days where i'm more dialed into and focused on karen's need than my own where i begin to naturally do for her what she needs not to bank up some points for me to ultimately get what I want, but because I'm genuinely more concerned about her good than my own. This is some of the sweetest moments in life. Now, I'll tell you, they're fewer and farther between than I would like them to be. Oh, what? No one, no one else struggles with self-centeredness? 
They're fewer and farther between than I'd like them to be because growing in love is a process. And there's a lot of layers. I am like an onion. There is a lot of layers of selfishness to peel back where the Holy Spirit will get past one and it's like, this is amazing gravitational shift. And then like a day later, I go for a run in 100 degree weather and I forget everything I was looking at the prior day. I think I'm probably not the only one. There's a lot of layers of selfishness in our soul to peel back. But I'm telling you, it's those days where the, it's those moments where the gravitational shift comes off of me and onto another person. That is when I felt most alive. I mean, those are the days that people write love songs about. Like, does anyone write love songs about, I'm so awesome and I love you because you think I'm awesome and you serve all my needs? No, that would be a terrible song. The songs are about you and what I want to do for you. And we could argue how much does the artist actually mean it. But I think they're grasping and groping at 1 Corinthians 13 here. That there's something otherworldly when the gravitational shift can come off of me for a second and on to someone else. Those are the days when your soul sings and begins to soar to new heights. And it's not just uh, something that happens in romantic relationships. What you see if you read the New Testament is this is one of the things that characterized the early church. That people from a very diverse set of backgrounds that had no reason to really regard one another began to regard the good of other people in, in the church community as more important than their own. It began to explode with joy. It began to reverberate in such a way that shook the foundations of the Roman Empire. It moves people. Um, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating that the Jesus movement did not take off because we had such awesome worship services. Because early on, this wasn't allowed. We weren't allowed to do this. The Jesus movement took off because there was a love alive in a community of people that the community around them couldn't deny. And it changed minds, it changed hearts, and it Flip the world upside down because this is the life that we were made for. And as people see a community of people living, not seeking their own good, but seeking the good of those around them, it compels us because deep down we all know this is the life we were made for. We are not made to be self-seeking. Sin has done this to us. And I think the reason we love love is because it's a glimpse into the world we were made for. And see, this is what I hope that the Holy Spirit would just make click in all of our hearts in this series at some point. Um, When God tells us that love is not rude or self-seeking, he's not giving us a list of behavior modifications. He's not giving us a list of things that we need to do to be better Christians, to measure up more. He's not telling us a checklist of things that we need to do. What he is doing is he's teaching us about the power and the secrets of his kingdom. That, yeah, sure, focusing on yourself might be the way of the world. It might be what you are used to, but I don't know if you know this, the world is not in the state that God created it to be. The world is broken. 
The world is fractured by sin. And this way of self-seeking, it might be common to us, but we said a couple of weeks ago, we all know that life apart from love is ultimately meaningless, and oftentimes it leads us to annoying everyone around us. What God's saying is, yeah, the, the way that might be normal to you, it's not going to lead to the life you long for going to lead you to be a clanging symbol, but that's not the only way to live. There is a better way to live. If you really want to live, there is a better way to live, and that is the way that we see in Jesus, who is uh, co-eternal with the Father, has always been God, has always enjoyed a perfect life of love within the Trinity, where the Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity have been loving one another, giving to one another, caring for one another. Like the heart of reality is love, not this madness we live in. But rather than staying in the comfort of heaven where everything is as it was supposed to be, Jesus left the comfort of heaven and came to earth to seek our good. The good of people who are not only rude, but rebellious and destructive in our selfishness. And, and you can see this. You go through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see all of these occasions where Jesus shows up, people are rude to them, and he blesses them anyway. And, and the clearest moment of this is at the end of the Gospel of Mark, on the cross, Jesus bore the brunt of our selfishness. As he is mocked and ultimately murdered. But rather than seeking his own good and call down a legion of angels, he continues to seek our good, the good of selfish sinners like us, by dying in our place for our sins to address our selfishness at the root. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus opens up an ability to live differently for you and for me, an ability that is not of this earth. There's a movie that illustrates this really well, I think. Um, it's not a great movie. It's, it's called Moonfall. Um, it's not a great movie, so I'll just ruin it for you and save you a couple of hours. Uh, what happens in this film is the moon, as the title implies, falls down to earth. Some of you are like, this does not sound like my kind of movie. Stick with me. As the moon begins to fall down to earth, the gravity on the earth begins to change. And things that were impossible begin to happen. Things begin to float. Rockets take off without like all the jets that they need. It's really not the most best movie. But as the moon falls to earth, gravity shifts and things that looked impossible begin to happen. And that's exactly what's happened in the gospel. That heaven has come to earth in the person of Jesus. And when you experience this, when you come into his orbit, he gives you a new center of gravity to your life. Where instead of focus on yourself, you get caught up into this greater center. Where Jesus becomes the center of your life. Like is actually the center of all reality. And you begin to revolve your life around the center of all things. And as you focus on Jesus and your life is increasingly caught up in him, 
you can begin to enjoy this kind of life that's not from this world, but this is how they live in heaven. This is how the cosmos lives. This is the world as it was made to be. This self-centered thing, this is just a blip on the radar. Heaven has come to earth. When you realize that, it can give you a new center of gravity. That as you get caught up in him, as your life is caught up in Christ, revolving around him, it frees you up to follow him in a life that reflects his priorities in his kingdom, that is ultimately firstly about loving God with our life, but then secondly about loving the other people in our life. And, and that's where the rubber, I think, really meets the road with this chapter. What I hope the Holy Spirit would really help click for us over the course of the summer is we can only learn to live like this as we experience being loved like this day in and day out. And so I just want to end this message by telling you how much God loves you. Because I know we tend to forget. I know if we have a rough week, when we have a rough week, we tend to doubt the love of God for us. But the only shot we've got at walking in this most excellent way is by coming into the orbit of the God who has come to earth and allowing him to change our center of gravity. And so I just want to end by telling you how much God loves you. That here, here's the good news of the gospel for us this morning. God loves rude and selfish people. Did you know this? Like, this is the point of the gospel. He's hanging on the cross being mocked by two thieves. And he loves them. He, he doesn't revile them back into one of the thieves who puts his trust in Jesus. Jesus says, hey, now, I know you were mocking me like six seconds ago. But if you want to be with me, today you'll be in paradise. God loves rude and selfish people because that's the only kind there are. And so if you begin to like reflect on your self-centeredness and you begin to lose hope, do not give up hope as you see the ways that you fall short because that's the reason heaven came to earth. If you could live this way, Jesus would have stayed in the comfort of heaven and waited for you to climb your way up and give you a high five when you got there. But he knew you couldn't. It's the whole reason he came. And the love of God that compelled him to lay his life down for us when we were his enemies is the same love that compels him to keep loving us as we struggle to live this stuff out 10, 20, 30, 40, 70 years later. I don't know what it is about us humans, but I, I, I I hear this from so many people, I experience it myself, that we tend to go, yeah, 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 God loved me when he saved me, but then if we struggle with something for too long, we begin to think maybe he changed his mind about us. But the point of the gospel is that when you were at your worst, God was at his best. And if he loved you when you had no regard for him, were rude, were mocking, were making fun of Christians and how stupid this whole thing is, I think he can probably put up with the way that you're struggling to be kind right now. I think he can put up with that addiction in your life. I'm not saying he doesn't want to touch that addiction and bring healing. I'm saying I don't think he's going to give up and say, okay, I was strong enough to save him. I was strong enough to carry him for 20 years, but the 21st year, I'm done too much for me. 
God loves you. I don't care how you walk in here this morning. I don't know your background. I can stand on the word of God and proclaim to you that God so loves the world that he sent his son. He loves you. He wants to give you a new life where you come into orbit around him. And the only thing that's necessary to come into that life is like the thief on the cross. Say, yes, Jesus, I think I would like that. He loves you. God loves rude people. He loves selfish people. He loves even proud people that don't realize that they're selfish. And he loves them enough to keep bringing them back and melt hearts. And the incredible thing about the cross of Christ is God not only loves us when we are at our worst, but his love begins to transform us and make us a new kind of human. And so if you hear nothing this morning, I want you to hear this. You can come to God as you are this morning. If you come to him, say, I want life with you. For the first time or the nth time, I can guarantee you, and Christ's answer to you is, yes, come. I love you. I'm for you. You can come to God just as you are. It doesn't matter the struggle. It doesn't matter if you feel like you can't confess it to anyone. You can confess it to him. You can come to him just as you are. But here's the beauty of the gospel. God will accept you as you are, but he will not leave you as you are. He wants to transform you and bring you into a new kind of life. It doesn't make his love contingent on how well that transformation goes, but he loves you enough to say, I'm going to love you as you are, and in my love, I'm going to make you a new kind of person. His love is like the moon falling to earth in a bad sci-fi movie, where when you receive the love of a God who loves you in spite of the stuff you've done, it begins to lift your soul and free you to a new gravitational center that will lead to a new kind of life. That's the invitation of this chapter. To know the God who loves rude and selfish people and who is so loving that he will seek your good no matter how far you run from him. And the best way you can experience that love is right where you need it most. And so if you want to have a new gravitational center to your life, I know it sounds silly, but I really believe it begins with paying attention to the rudeness in your life. Pay attention to the little things that you're so used to sweeping under the rug. Because I think it's the little things, it's the everyday things that the Holy Spirit wants to meet us there and say, you're more sinful than you thought, but don't worry, you're more loved than you could ever imagine. So I'll love you there, and I'll love you enough to heal you there. What if you did that this week? What if you did that for the rest of your life? That you increasingly paid attention to the little things. How awake do you think you would be to the love of God? There's only one way to find out. But that's the invitation of this chapter. And, and here's what I'll say about that. I, I see a future in Diablo Valley where hundreds of followers of Jesus are increasingly exemplifying this kind of life, this most excellent way of living, where rather than being bent inward and focused on ourselves, there's a focus on those around us. 
that's willing to lay down our preferences for the good of others. I see a future where there is a type of life that will come from this. I see a future in this valley where people outside the church are going to be confronted with something that maybe they've never seen before in their lives. Real, supernatural, kingdom-oriented, otherworldly, heaven-come-to-earth kind of love. And I think it's going to change this place. May it change us first. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you love rude and self-seeking people. Thank you that your love is big enough to give us hope. Thank you that there's no sin in this room that is so big that you would say that would stop me from loving you. Thank you that we can be honest with you and with one another because your love is so big. And so I pray that just by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would pour your love into our hearts to help us believe that truth, that there's no sin with more power than your cross, that there's no force in the cosmos that could possibly keep us from your love. Would you pour your love afresh into our hearts this morning, and in so doing, give us a new gravitational center. Help us to pay attention to the rudeness in our life and redeem our rudeness to help us see more of your love and make us more like you. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen.